0: Hello, and welcome to Title Volume by Breathe Easy Pediatrics, a podcast where we look at the core concepts of pediatric pulmonology care. My name is Christina Barretta, and I'm a pediatric pulmonologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Medicine and Public Health. I'm here with Chris Green, who is a pediatric pulmonologist and professor emeritus at the University of Wisconsin. We're here today to talk about the concept of collateral ventilation.
1: Thanks, Christina. Collateral ventilation may be important in a patient's ability to avoid and or resolve atelectasis. There are a few other areas of clinical medicine in which collateral ventilation may be important. We will discuss these today. That said, the research on collateral ventilation is limited, so it is not possible to say in a particular case that collateral ventilation is important or not. Today, we'll talk about a case example where collateral ventilation may be relevant We'll discuss different models of ventilation. We'll list the pathways of collateral ventilation, talk about factors that influence these pathways, and talk about factors on how collateral ventilation may be clinically significant. By the end of this discussion, I hope you will agree that pediatric pulmonologists should have an understanding of collateral ventilation.
0: Definitely. So Chris, as we were preparing for this podcast, I became more aware of how much collateral ventilation or lack of collateral ventilation can play an important role in the clinical presentation of many of our patients. To begin our discussion, let's start with talking about a hypothetical patient case example that will be familiar to many of our listeners. In this example, a 10 month old girl presented to the pediatric pulmonary clinic for evaluation of what had been called recurrent pneumonias. She received a chest radiograph with nearly every respiratory illness, and each chest radiograph showed patchy consolidations in different places. On review of her history, exam, and many chest radiographs, what had been labeled as recurrent pneumonias were more likely recurrent episodes of atelectasis in the setting of respiratory viral illnesses. She was otherwise a healthy child. She did not have asthma, neuromuscular weakness, or other injuries to be predisposed to atelectasis. As she got older, the frequencies of these episodes decreased. By the time she was five years old, her chest radiographs were normal even during respiratory illnesses. So can collateral ventilation help explain why very young children, even those without neuromuscular weakness or asthma, have atelectasis more frequently than older children?
1: Yes, collateral ventilation can play a role. Younger patients are more prone to atelectasis compared with older children. Before we discuss why that is, I'd first like to discuss usual and collateral ventilation. We think of ventilation as a reciprocating system. Inspired gas enters the upper airway and is distributed via the bronchi and bronchioles to the alveoli. During exhalation, the gas flows in the opposite direction. We typically inspire 78% nitrogen, 1% inert and trace gases, 21% oxygen, and nearly zero carbon dioxide. In fact, the carbon dioxide concentration is about 400 parts per million or about 0.04%. We usually exhale 78% nitrogen, 1% inert and trace gases, 17% oxygen and about 4% carbon dioxide.
0: Interesting, so we exhale about the same amount of nitrogen as we breathe in and exhale about a hundred times as much carbon dioxide as we breathe in. Still, we're only exhaling about 4% carbon dioxide. Now, you mentioned that we usually think of ventilation as a reciprocating system where air flows into our lungs through a set of channels and then air flows out of the lungs through the same set of channels or airways. Besides reciprocating ventilation, how else does ventilation occur?
1: In addition to the reciprocating breathing just described, there is also limited airflow between adjacent alveoli and bronchioles. This is called collateral ventilation and is defined as ventilation of alveoli via pathways that bypass the usual arborizing bronchial tree.
0: Okay, so collateral ventilation occurs through pathways other than the bronchi to the bronchioles, to the alveoli, and back again, routes that we usually think of. So, what are the pathways of collateral ventilation?
1: These pathways are as follows pores of cone. They are only 3 to 13 microns in diameter, and connect adjacent alveoli. Canals of Lambert, about 120 microns in diameter, and these connect alveoli to nearby bronchioles. Channels of Martin, 30 microns in diameter, and connecting adjacent bronchioles. And finally, there are connections between interlobular and intersegmental respiratory bronchioles. These are up to 200 microns in diameter. The interbronchiolar connections are present between lobules of the lung, between segments of the lung, and in cases of incomplete lobar fissures may connect adjacent lobes. Lateral ventilation is greater in the upper lobes and lower lobes and is reduced in the lingula and right middle lobes.
0: Interesting. So just to review, the pores of cone spelled K-O-H-N, connect adjacent alveoli. The canals of Lambert connect alveoli to nearby bronchioles and the channels of Martin connect adjacent bronchioles. There are even interlobular and intersegmental respiratory bronchioles that go between lobules and segments of the lung. These definitely aren't the typical breathing pathways drawn out in our diagrams of the respiratory system when teaching medical students. So how much airflow actually goes through these collateral pathways?
1: As we shall learn, this is variable. In normal young adults, The resistance of the collateral pathways is 50 times the normal airway resistance of the usual airways. This suggests that flow through the collateral paths is 1 50th the flow through the usual airways.
0: Wow, 50 times normal airway resistance is high. What factors affect the resistance within these collateral pathways?
1: Species, age, lung disease, lung volume, bronchial smooth muscle tone, and the fraction of inspired carbon dioxide all affect the resistance within these collateral pathways. Let's discuss each of these in turn, starting with species. Dogs have extensive collateral ventilation pathways, whereas pigs have little, if any, collateral ventilation. Humans are intermediate in this regard.
0: Interesting. Does greater collateral ventilation in the dog explain the dog's greater short-term aerobic capacity? Could I run faster if I had greater collateral ventilation?
1: Probably not. In patients with healthy lungs, gas exchange is optimal or nearly so. Also, the lungs do not limit exercise except in cases of severe lung disease. In addition to variation among species, the extent and resistance of collateral ventilation varies between humans as well. Age is a factor. Infants have underdeveloped collateral ventilation. The pores of colon, those pathways between alveoli, do not develop until about four years of age. Collateral ventilation increases during childhood, and because of lung aging, collateral ventilation is greater in the elderly than in normal adults.
0: So it sounds like these collateral ventilation systems continue to develop through childhood. Are there disease states that lead to increased or reduced collateral ventilation?
1: Yes, collateral ventilation is increased in emphysema and is increased in diseases that are manifested by lung hyperinflation. Collateral ventilation is decreased in restrictive diseases such as pulmonary fibrosis, but this is based on very little data. Also, lung volumes are relevant. High lung volumes increase collateral ventilation.
0: Do we know why higher lung volumes increase collateral ventilation?
1: This has been studied, and the details are discussed by Menkes and Trassman, which is reference one. They conclude that the resistance in collateral ventilation pathways decreases with increasing lung volumes just as airway resistance decreases with increasing lung volumes. The mechanisms have not been studied in detail, but are presumed to be similar for the two resistances. That is, that increasing lung volumes increase elastic recoil of tissues around airways, both in the collateral and the normal peripheral airways. This elastic recoil, in turn, increases airway caliber, thereby decreasing resistance in all airways in the lung.
0: That makes sense. So are there any medications that we give that affect collateral ventilation?
1: Uh, Yes. Bronchial smooth muscle tone is important here. Bronchodilator treatment increases collateral ventilation, and bronchoconstrictor treatment decreases collateral ventilation.
0: Okay. So bronchodilators, like albuterol decrease the resistance of the collateral ventilation system, thus increasing collateral ventilation. What else increases collateral ventilation?
1: Breathing 5% carbon dioxide increases collateral ventilation.
0: Huh. And how was that discovered?
1: Tracement and collaborators, which is reference number three, made measurements of collateral ventilation in dogs breathing ambient air and dogs breathing 5% carbon dioxide and 21% oxygen. Resistance via the collateral airways dropped by 46% after breathing the 5% carbon dioxide.
0: Sounds good. So now that we've discussed the basics around collateral ventilation, can we discuss its clinical significance? Does this collateral ventilation system clinically make a difference?
1: Yes. Bronchial mucus plugging, intrabronchial foreign bodies, tumors in the airway, or extrinsic bronchial compression may cause distal atelectasis. However, babies who have limited collateral ventilation are more predisposed to atelectasis than older patients who have better developed collateral ventilation. Air can flow through collateral channels and end up behind mucus plugs. This air may aid mucus clearance via coughing. Air behind a bronchial obstruction supplemented by collateral ventilation tends to normalize gas exchange. This effect is variable depending upon the amount of collateral ventilation.
0: That's really cool. I'd also like to talk more about obstructive bronchi and the partial normalization of gas exchange that can occur due to collateral ventilation. To start, I think it's good to remember that in normal areas of the lung, alveolar gas partial pressures are nearly the same as those found in arterial blood. However, there are localized differences due to varying ventilation and perfusion ratio throughout the lung.
1: Yes. Also, we know that the arterial partial pressure of oxygen is lower than the Alveolar partial pressure of oxygen by 5 to 15 millimeters of mercury. However, in areas of the lung distal to a mucus plug or other obstruction and without a source of fresh gas, the alveolar gas will approach mixed venous partial pressures with alveolar partial pressure of oxygen being about 40 millimeters of mercury. If there is zero ventilation in an area of lung, atelectasis will develop over time. Ventilation distal to a bronchial obstruction can occur via collateral channels. This will increase the alveolar partial pressure of oxygen and will decrease the alveolar partial pressure of carbon dioxide. In turn, this increases the arterial partial pressure of oxygen and decreases the arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide of the blood draining from that area of lung via the pulmonary veins. And because of collateral ventilation, areas which would have a very low Ventilation perfusion ratio in the absence of collateral ventilation will, in the presence of collateral ventilation, have a higher ventilation perfusion ratio. This will mitigate the hypoxemia.
0: So, collateral ventilation definitely is clinically relevant. Which paths of collateral ventilation are most important to gas exchange?
1: Most important paths are the larger paths, the canals of Lambert with diameters of about 120 microns the channels of Martin with diameters of about 30 microns and the interlobular and intersegmental respiratory bronchioles with diameters up to 200 microns.
0: That makes sense. So in thinking about our patient population, why are children felt to have relatively underdeveloped collateral ventilation?
1: Limited anatomic data suggests underdeveloped collateral pathways in children. Also, children with asthma have a much higher incidence of right middle lobe and lingular collapse compared with adults. This may be due to poorer collateral ventilation in these lobes compared with the upper and lower lobes.
0: We definitely see plenty of right middle lobe and lingular collapse in our patient population. And of course, we sometimes get consulted on children with right middle lobe syndrome. Is the lack of collateral ventilation in the middle lobe a contributor to right middle lobe atelectasis?
1: Yes. The usual paucity of collateral ventilation in the middle lobe is a likely contributor to right middle lobe atelectasis. In addition, compression of the middle lobe bronchial orifice by enlarged lymph nodes in that area is also a factor contributing to right middle lobe syndrome.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So now that we've talked about disease states that are affected by collateral ventilation, let's move on to other things in our field and collateral ventilation. Does collateral ventilation have relevance to bronchial alveolar lavage?
1: Yes. The highest lavage return is usually from the lingula or from the right middle lobe. This is likely due to two factors. Reduced loss of lavage fluid to adjacent areas because of fewer collateral ventilatory pathways in these areas. And the relative technical ease of establishing an excellent and stable wedge position in a bronchus supplying one of these areas.
0: Great bronchoscopy tips. So do you have any personal experience that you think may have been affected by collateral ventilation?
1: Christina, that's a great question. When I was a fellow, I volunteered as a normal subject for a study of alveolar macrophages. And this study entailed a large volume bronchoalveolar lavage. I ended up with a 600 milliliter lavage of my left lower lobe. And this started out fine, but as we got up in volume, I started to have a lot of gurgling, and clearly lavage fluid was getting out into my more proximal bronchial tree. I don't know whether the lavage fluid was passing through collateral channels coming up uh, through paths parallel to where the bronchoscope was, or if there was a poor wedge position and it was leaking. But in preparation for this podcast, I thought, about the possibility that this could have been saline slowly moving through these collateral channels and coming up via a parallel pathway.
0: Wow. So were you awake or asleep for that, Bronc?
1: Yeah, I was uh, awake without any sedation. Uh, I did have topical anesthesia of my uh, nasal passage, my pharynx, larynx, trachea, and bronchi. And having done a lot of bronchoscopy by that time myself, I wasn't too anxious, and the procedure really went well, other than my gurgling at the end.
0: Wow, that is an up-close and personal experience with possible collateral ventilation. I will say I never had to be a subject of an awake bronch during my fellowship, and I'm very grateful for that, but thank you for doing that and contributing to science. (laughs) Any closing thoughts about collateral ventilation?
1: Yes. Research on collateral ventilation is limited. That's an important point. Collateral ventilation has relevance to patient care and clinical pediatric pulmonology. Specifically, there is relevance to the genesis and resolution of atelectasis, to bronchoalveolar lavage, and to mucus clearance. I will leave you with a clinical question. I was taught that mucus clearance should be carried out after administration of a bronchodilator, such as albuterol. The rationale for this was increased mucus clearance due to increased ciliary beat frequency. I have never been convinced that the data clearly supported this contention. An alternative hypothesis is that mucus clearance should be carried out after administration of a bronchodilator at a high lung volume, and while the patient breathes 5% carbon dioxide, all of these factors increase collateral ventilation and will tend to allow more air to flow into areas distal to mucus plugging. The extra air delivered by collateral ventilation should aid mucus clearance via coughing.
0: That is a good clinical question and thought to ponder. Sounds like a study in the making. Thank you so much for this great discussion.
1: You are welcome.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Title Volume, presented by Breathe Easy Pediatrics. If you have any questions or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at PoemPedsDoc. For those of you without Twitter who'd like to give us some feedback, we also have an email, titlevolumeatspeds at gmail.com. You can also find some references about the material that we discussed in today's podcast on the ATS website for this podcast. Thanks again for listening.